want apple juice. Lucas wants apple juice. I know, I heard him can say I that. Can I have apple juice? Yeah, you can have apple juice. Can I have soda? Yes, you can have soda. Can I press that button? No, you can't press that button. Why? Because that's going to play the theme song. I'm not ready to start Click. the pot. What is up, guys? James Gutman here on High Pod. I'm Dad. Welcome back to another edition of the podcast. Every Friday, wherever you find podcasts on, uh, you know, Spotify, all that stuff, anywhere it streams, I'm streaming. Uh, if you want to find everything that I've done here on the podcast or all the podcasts that are to come, you can also go to directly to HighPodOmDad.com. Bookmark, like, subscribe, hit that bell. Is there a bell? I don't know. Just do whatever you're supposed to do, and uh, and we'll catch up every single Friday. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's snowing out here on Long Island. And yesterday, people were wearing like shorts. So yeah, the world's crazy. Weird timeline. And I am trying to make sure that I do not get incredibly sick. My sinuses never react well to the bouncing weather. It's always been that way. I blame the weather a lot. Um, but what's kind of weird is I find that I blame the weather no matter what it is. You guys ever start to feel that? I'm like, am I just always sick? People are like, how you doing? I'm like, I don't know, my sinuses, the weather. It's a little hot. And like a week later, I don't know, the weather's a little cold. You know, my sinuses. Like, oh. And then it's like, well, the weather's going back and forth. It's my sinuses. Maybe my sinuses suck. Screw my sinuses. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I've been worse, but I'm feeling pretty good. And I thank you guys for taking the time here to listen to the podcast and join me. Uh, sending me your comments. I see them on Facebook. I see them in the comments section on our official page. I don't do a lot of work promoting the podcast page on Facebook where you can actually hear these episodes when they get posted. Now Facebook just automatically streams it. So if you like Hi Pod I'm Dad on Facebook, you can hear it right through there. Uh, or you can follow me anywhere. The Hi Blog I'm Dad Facebook page does really well. I got a lot of people on there. We interact, we talk, we comment, like it there. Uh, but you can also find, find me, I should say, on any social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I am Hi James Gutman. H I Hi James Gutman, not the other one. I know what you're thinking. That's not that's not what I meant. It'd be kind of funny. A little Cheech and Chuck. Hey man. No. Hi, James Gutman. And you'll find me on all of those uh those services. And we can talk. Why not? What's the problem? You don't want to talk? Let's talk. Let's talk about this week. I did two blogs this week. Uh both of which were personal to me, both of which dealt with subjects that maybe I haven't really talked too much about. The one on Monday was about divorce, and it was a divorced dad on staying together for the kids. Keyword heavy, if you will, SEO content. Um, This was a big deal because I haven't written about my divorce yet. I've written about it in that it's been mentioned. I talked about it when I moved to this new house that I live in. I talked about it at you know, a lot of cryptic things at the time when it was happening. I wrote a blog called Going Through Some Stuff and things where I talked about dealing with issues at the time. But like many subjects, I wasn't ready to speak about it. And I wasn't ready to really address it because I didn't have anything to say about it. And some of the things that I had to say about it, I don't think were really, you know, uh, fleshed out, if you will, in my head. I was confused. I was conflicted. Not 
really conflicted about the divorce itself, but conflicted about how to talk about it, uh, what parts of it were important. You know, I, I don't want to talk about specifics because I'm actually at the point now, you know, a year or two later where I don't, I don't think about the specifics anymore. You know, we go through this whenever we're in a situation like that, uh, whether it's divorce or a conflict with somebody, you know, with parents or anybody, where you start to index all the things that have been bothering you. This person said that, and I said this, and then this happened, and then they said that, and you're ready to tell everybody, almost as if you're going to um, you know, a trial where they care. And one of the things you realize when you get divorced is nobody cares. They don't care about your list of things that happened. You'd be like, well, I was going to tell you this. Happened. They're like, how much money do you guys have in the bank? That's all we really care about. It's like, but what about? It's, there's no more. It doesn't. I don't know where you live. Maybe it's different there. Here in New York, nobody cares. It's all just about, I don't even know why you need a lawyer. I'm like, I need to go to you. To just, I could have just loaded up my bank account. We'll just divvy it up, you know, but there's no, no sense of uh, caring about those things. So you spend years kind of calculating, well, I was right here and I did this wrong there. And, but that's not important when you get divorced. And to be honest with you, once you are divorced, it's not important anymore either. It's just, it's your past. It's something that you went through. So I didn't want to talk about any of those things and I'm not going to talk about any of those things. And one of the hardest parts about it too is that um, conflicts that I have with people, whether it's this divorce that I went through, and I say conflict in that we got divorced, not necessarily, you know, that there's a battle, but just, you know, having something with somebody else that you're working through um, or not talking to my family now that I grew up with the people who raised me and I spend holidays with, don't talk to them. I've had a hard time addressing those in the blog because since there's more than one person involved and I'm one side of the story, I don't want to use the blog or the podcast as a way of slinging arrows. I don't want to make it something where you know, I, I get anyone back or I try to like make a point or make myself a hero. I want it to be something that you guys can relate to. And you can't really relate to specifics because it's my specifics. It's the things that I've dealt with in my life. And now that I'm years out, I don't, I don't really think about those things anymore anyway. So I felt better and able to address it. So what this was about, it was about my fear prior to getting divorced about the kids and how a lot of, you know, closing moments that I spent were because of the kids. I thought, you know, kids can't have divorce. And even as my life did not play out the way I thought it should, I wasn't happy. Nobody was happy. There were things missing. Big chunks of life were missing in the house. The only thing that was staying together, so to speak, was that we were all physically together. We were all in the same place. We were all getting our mail in the same location. But a lot of the things that you would associate with being married were gone and family were kind of gone, you know, and still in my head, I'm like, well, this is for the kids. And the weird thing is that now that I'm, I'm not married anymore and I live here and the kids spend half the time here and half the time there, I feel like I'm more in tune with my kids than I ever was. When they're here, it's 100%, you know, uh, me and my daughter, we get into these kicks where we watch TV shows, we're watching Smallville and we... uh Oh, we just watch TV. We watch these shows together. We, we talk and we, you know, she tells me about her day. I tell her about my day. And then my son and I, I'm, I'm working on his life skills and we play and we get out of the house. So we do these things that I never did before because I would be a little dejected or I would be, you know, just kind of around all the time. Hey, what's up? You want to lay down? You know, it was like nothing. There was nothing to do. And that was a mistake to spend all that time doing that. So it ended up being the kind of thing where staying together for the kids wasn't real. I was staying together with the kids for me. 
when I was sad and when I was upset, I would go find them and I would go hug my son and I would go grab my daughter and let's go do something. Let's take a walk. Um, that was for me. And now I can't do that half the week. Half the week, there's nobody here. You know, it's just me. I live in this huge house <laughs> that is really more money than it should be uh, that I'm renting that I, I, you know, I do it for them. We have all this room for them. And when they're not here, like 90% of the house goes unused. You know, I go between three rooms. That's it. I, you know, I work and I play and whatever, but I don't, I don't know. There's no running around. There's no screaming. There's no, you know, laughter. A lot of that's missing. And I don't have kids to go and find and hug and hang out with. But when they are here, it's amazing. And because I'm no longer in that position where I was sitting around all the time upset or, you know, thinking about life and feeling like I'm wasting time or whatever it is, I don't have as many of those dark moments where I have to go seek them out and hug them and play with them. I, when they're not here, although they're not here and it can be kind of, you know, sad here or whatever, I'm filling my time with other things and I'm, I'm making myself happy and I'm trying to live and I'm trying to, you know, reclaim my life in many ways. Just like, you know, I had that heart surgery in 2012 and I wanted to live. I wanted to experience. I wanted to do things. And now I'm doing that. And I'm, I'm happy. I really am. I'm happy. And I could say that not as some podcast, you know, catchphrase line to put out there like, hey, I'm happy. You want to be happy? Here's what you do. I mean, seriously, I'm happy. And I could say that. And there was a while where I couldn't. There was a long time where I couldn't. And it makes me even happier to be able to say that. It makes me happy to know I'm happy, if you will. So, yeah, that's it, man. I think staying together for the kids is a, it's a good thought. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's the right way to go. And I, I have yet to really find anybody who would tell you it is. You know, I know a lot of people who have come from homes that parents stayed together for the kids. You know, parents were no longer living that married life. And they thought they were doing the kids a favor. The kids knew it felt like a little bit dilapidated, if you will, like a, a you know, a half a, half a life already. So yeah, I, and this is the kind of thing where I wouldn't have even known it until it happened. At the time I was terrified. I thought I was, you know, screwing everything up. And in the end, I'm, I'm happy with it, which I never in my life ever thought I would say. So yeah. So if you're one of those people and you're struggling, I don't suggest anything to anybody. I'm not a proponent for divorce and I'm not a proponent for staying together. I'm not a proponent for anything. Everybody's an individual. Everyone lives their lives. Everyone does their thing. But if you are in a situation where you are miserable and you are just staying around because you think physically being in the same house under the same roof is the best thing for everybody and you're not living a life that you are happy with and you know that your kids can see that, it's not necessarily doing it for the kids. It's just doing it for safety. So yeah, no more safety, just living. That's what I'm doing. Wednesday was a different subject, but a take on it that, again, I hadn't really spoken about. I don't know if I've mentioned it before. It's a real story. All of my stories are real. All the things I talk about are real. I use very little poetic license aside from maybe changing a name here and there or a time period. I'll say that a friend of mine from high school, uh, and it was actually a friend from college, things like that, or somebody that I worked with might be you know, a friend of a friend or something. I try to I try to not make it where you could pinpoint the exact people I'm talking about because I don't want to hurt anybody, but all the stories about them are true. All the things that I experienced are true. This story was true. Um, the story was called My Nonverbal 
son is getting older and that no longer scares me. And it was because when he was first diagnosed, I went through a haze. I was worried about my kid. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what nonverbal was. I didn't know what autism was. I knew what they were, but I didn't know how they played out. I kept arguing with experts that he liked when I hugged him. So how could he have autism? I knew Dustin Hoffman. I knew when Tom Cruise hugged him, he screamed. And I'm like, that's autism. Okay. Can't hug him. That's the number one rule. I hug this kid. kid gives, he kisses me on the cheek. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Well, that's not really what autism is. And it took so long to figure out what it was. And the fear that I had initially upon him being diagnosed and upon learning that he might be nonverbal was that I didn't know what that meant. I didn't understand any of it. And it was the unknown. And as he got older, things came together and I accepted him. I was aware, I accepted, and then I appreciated how autism affected his personality in such beautiful ways. And I loved my son. I felt better about it. And that feeling went away. And then one day, forgot exactly how old he was. He was past the age of my acceptance, whether it was five, six, seven, whatever. I was watching a video and it was a dad talking about his son who was nonverbal with autism. And dad was older than me and his son was in his 20s. And he had a mustache. And his son was acting the same way that my son acted. You know, clapping and yelling, putting his face in his father's face. The guy would try to talk and he would put his face in his face like Lucas uh, used to do. He doesn't do it as much now, but he did it then. And I freaked out. In my head, I was like, oh my God. Because I couldn't even imagine. I'm like, this is, because when they're little, a lot of the things that my son was doing was things that all the kids were doing. Neurotypical kids do that. Neurotypical kids bounce around and jump around and grab your head and all that stuff. So when he did it, although people could tell, you know, that he had special needs and that there were differences, for the most part, it was, it's more acceptable. It's, oh, that's so cute. You know, he's adorable. Look, he loves you. People say stuff like that. This guy had a mustache. And I was like, oh my God, is that going to happen? What am I going to do? And then I felt awful. I was mad at myself. I'm like, why are you doing that? Like, this could be your kid and you're sitting here judging it as if it's a terrible thing. You're passing the same pity and judgment on this father that you don't want people to pass on you. And I just, I just flogged myself over this, over the fact that I thought this way and that I was this way. I didn't know what I was going to do. And you know, now all of a sudden it became a new worry. And it was a worry based on reality. It wasn't about the unknown. It wasn't about not knowing. It wasn't about, you know, I don't know what my kid's going to be. I knew what my kid was going to be. I knew what I was worried about. I knew it because I saw it. I knew that my son was very similar to this man. And my fear wasn't based on, I don't know what it's going to be. My fear was based on this video. My fear was based on what if that happens. And But what you don't realize is a couple of things. First, as he grows up, he's still going to be him. I still love him. It's not a snapshot. It's not a two-minute YouTube video isn't going to be our lives. Our lives are going to be everything. You know, and he's getting older now. He's, he's 11. He's going to be 11 this month. So he's not an adult yet. But a lot of the fears that I had when he was really little have come true. Some of the things that I was worried that he was going to be doing, that he wouldn't be talking, that he would, you know, struggle with certain skills. They're here and they're fine. He's great because I love him. He's in my life. And I understood that, that when he does get to that point, when he does have a mustache or whatever, it might look like that video, like that scene to other people, but he's still my kid and he's the kid that I love and that will make it okay. Also, life isn't like fast forward. I am sure that if tomorrow I woke up and I flashed ahead 20 years, it would not be the same as it's going to actually be to live every day until that 20 years. We're going to grow together. The process will be slow. His evolution, his maturity, my daughter's maturity, my daughter's evolution, all these things that are going to happen as we get older, we do together and we do it at a slow pace until we get there. 
And that's how everything ends up being fine. When we think about the future, we think about the future in that we flash to it in our brains. We imagine 20 years from now as if it happened overnight. We have dreams and images. You don't see the slow rate to get there. And I've seen that happen now, going from two to 11. If I had pictured 11 when he was two years old, it would be scary even if the image that I saw was the exact one that's here today. But today is not scary. Today's beautiful. I love him. He's a wonderful kid and he's a great part of my life and I appreciate everything about him. So that is why I'm no longer scared of the future for him. Uh, there are certain scary things I'm worried about when I die. I'm worried about what's going to happen. All that stuff is real and that's stuff that I rarely write about because there is really no great moral happy story at the end of that. That's the kind of thing where I'm, I, you know, you just got to suck it up and figure it out. Uh, but when it comes to worrying about who he's going to be, I don't worry about who he's going to be. I know who he is now. Um, I know who he was yesterday. And I know that the person I'll be tomorrow will be just as great. We're in a good, a good place. So yeah, check it out, read it. If you relate, thank you. Drop me a line. You can, uh, you know, write to me through the contact form on High Blog or through any again of social media that's out there. Hi James Gutman or like the High Blog I'm Dad page right on Facebook. Leave a comment. Let me know what you think. Uh, it means a lot, man. It really does. Like hearing from you guys and knowing the articles that I write, if they they do affect you. It makes it all worth it. It really does. It's the whole point of why I do this. So thank you. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. And we relate to everything, right? We can all relate to each other. And in 20 years, we will be where we are. We will be who we are. Uh, and I was originally going to use this as a segue to the whole want to feel old segment that we've been doing on the show, which is fun, uh, safe, kind of easy to do. But I wanted to use this time to address something that I've talked about it but I haven't really talked about it. I tell you guys all the time how I've re-recorded the opening, and I did that again this week. And when I talk about re-recording the opening, you have to understand, I don't dislike the openings that I've recorded. I don't dislike the things um, I've put out there and how I've said it. I re-record them often out of fear. That's the truth. I, I know I share a lot with you guys. I talk about my son. I talk about my daughter. I talk about me. I talk about mental health. I talk about uh, autism. I talk about positivity, divorce, all these different things that I talk about that are deeply personal to me. But it's not everything. I don't. I don't talk about everything on the podcast. I don't talk about everything in the blog, but I try to. And there have been many times that I've come on here and I've I've opened up. I've been going through something and I spill it out for everybody to hear. And I'm satisfied and I'm content. And then I sit on it for a little while and I rethink it and I don't put it out there. And I don't know if I ever will. I mean, honestly, the things that I've talked about, the things that I've re-recorded are things that um, aren't bad things. They're not terrible things. In many ways, they would be yet another thing where people would be like, that's brave or you know, that's cool that you talk about. Or, I relate to that, all these things. But I don't know, man, something holds me back from it. You know, There are things that I don't talk about that are little. Interactions I've had with my kids. Um, as you guys know, my daughter is a teenager. I try not to talk too much about her personal life. I feel that's not fair and that's not right. I wouldn't want that at 13 years old, so I don't do that to her at 13 years old. 
But also, there are just things about my way of thinking that I feel uneasy about. There are small details of stories and reasons and things I've been through that I don't talk about, but I try to. And I think that's important. I think sometimes people, they see what I write here and they see what I talk about here and they feel that I'm, you know, everything's on the table and a lot of things are. I mean, a lot more things are on the table than I ever expected to share with, you know, readers and listeners in my life. And it means a lot to me. It's really cool and I I like it and I like getting a chance to do that. But I also am aware that my life is bigger than the things that I put here. And the things that I talk about, the morals and the outcomes and things like that, they don't exist in a bubble. And it's important, I think, for people to understand that because sometimes you'll hear about something I've gone through or come out the other side or an understanding I've reached in a problem that I've had. And it sounds like I was able to come to this conclusion just based on experiencing these things, but it's not. Sometimes there's many things that go into it. There's many outside factors. There's many uh, people. There's many situations. There's many things that happen to me that change me. There's ways that I think that change me. Things that I struggle with that other people struggle with. Deep things, man. You know, I, there's things I don't ever talk about. I don't talk about, I have issues with food. That's something that I could touch upon that I don't talk about here. I really do. I have issues where, um, I won't eat for a while. Not because I'm trying to be svelte, not because, I mean, maybe it's something from, you know, when I was younger, I was a chubby kid, that could be a part of it. Sometimes I just forget. Sometimes it's the mood I'm in. I was told once, you know, in therapy, that's part of my triggers when I don't eat. It's a concern. I go through that. I don't talk about it here. But that's a part of my life. And that's something that affects me. So I think that's important. I think if I'm going to come on here and I'm going to give you guys certain stories and certain anecdotes and certain, you know, learning experiences that I've gone through, it's important to know that there's also other moments, both good and bad, that are not shared here at times for various reasons, sometimes for time, sometimes for, you know, fear of putting it out there, sometimes for not feeling it's irrelevant, that affect me and affect things that I do. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why that was important to me today. I think it was important because, I don't know, I I chastise myself a little bit for re-recording some of these audios because I'll record them and be proud of myself. I'll sit here and I'll do literally half an hour just riffing about something. And I put it away and I go, that's a, that's a big deal I did today. That's a big thing I did today. And then the next day I go, what are you doing? Don't do that. And then I'm kind, of, I'm kind of ashamed of myself for it. But at the same time, I feel that it's the right decision at times. And when I'm ready to talk about it, I will. Same thing happened with you know, mental health and things like that and divorce. Like I didn't want to talk about things until the time felt right. So I do know that and I do take solace in the fact that many of the things that I do keep private will eventually come out. I, I make the joke all the time that there are many stories happening today that are going to be written about years from now. You know, a lot of the people I interact with, a lot of the people I know, a lot of the people who both good and bad have come into my life will be renamed and, uh, and talked about as if they happened at a different time in my life later on as I do now, you know, in high school, I knew a kid named Jerry and it's really like some guy named Bob from college, you know, 
things like that. But there's a lot more out there. So don't, man. Don't hold yourself up to what you think I'm doing. Don't try to live up to it. Don't feel as though, you know, if you're not coming to these conclusions or coming to these epiphanies, that you're doing something wrong, you're not. Life is just, it's more than just A or B. Life is more than black or white. It's a lot of gray areas. There is, and it's something that I've been learning these last few weeks. It's something that I've been learning within my life. Um, And it's something that is important for somebody like me who's going to come on here and try to speak as if I have some sort of authority on on a particular way of thinking. I want you to be aware of it. We're all in the same boat, man. We are. And you know what's funny? Everybody is. I worked in professional wrestling for like 15 years. And I interviewed some of the richest and most powerful people. I've interviewed governors and I've interviewed rock stars and playboy models and all sorts of different personalities. I've interacted with wrestlers that are on the top level of the world. People I'd never interviewed, I've talked to and I've dealt with and I've tried to interview and I've, I've talked to them at a time when there weren't cameras around, when they were just individuals, where they weren't, you know, superstar, you know, ABC, and they were just ABC who lives in his town in a house. And I've seen these personalities play out. And the one thing that I learned from professional wrestling and from interacting with these stars for years, everybody's a person. Everybody deals with the same exact thing. We just don't talk about it all. We just don't share every single bit of it. And I think that that's important for me to put out there. So I wanted to put that out there for you guys. I wanted you to be aware of it. I hope if you've read the things I wrote about divorce, about my son, about anything that I've put it, you know, in the blog or on the podcast, it's important to know that my life has so many things to it, so many memories that I don't talk about, so many, you know, fears, ghosts, hopes, dreams, things that never get put out there, stories, history that are just mine. And one day maybe they'll be shared. Some of them will never be shared. Some of them are waiting to be shared. But regardless, they help paint who I am. And I want you guys to be aware of that. It's important to me. And it makes me not feel like a hypocrite. It makes me not feel like an imposter. And it makes me feel like, honestly, I'm giving you guys as complete a story as I possibly can in this moment, on this date. And I thank you so much for listening to those kind of things. That means a lot to me. And of course, you know, we always jump to a little segment on the show, something we all need. Just a moment. One moment of sanity. Hi, Pod. This is your moment of sanity. This week's moment of sanity is not one story. It's actually a few different stories from a specific time in my life when I had learned a lot about dealing with people. And it has shaped me uh, and how I deal with people today as an adult, as somebody who is no longer in uh, the service industry, no longer out there doing that. When I was younger, I was always looking for work when I was, you know, around college age, high school age. And I worked at a lot of different places. My first job was McDonald's. That was awful. I worked there. They had me uh, do disgusting things. Uh, in the end, I had mono, 
one summer and they wanted me to come into work. And when I wouldn't, um, that was the end of my job at McDonald's. So that was kind of crappy. Um, I was really surprised about it. I'm like, you want me to come in with mono? They're like, we really need people. I'm like, mm, you are disgusting. Uh, so I did not, I did not do that. Then I worked at Blockbuster Video because I'm 100 years old. Um, I've worked at many different businesses. I worked at Gymboree. Don't tell people I was a teacher at Gymboree. I was one of the most popular teachers, Mr. James at Gymboree. It was probably my favorite job in that industry, in the, in the dealing with people industry, working in a mall. I loved it. I loved every bit of it. I took buses everywhere. I didn't drive at the time. Uh, it was huge. I miss it. I think about it. People were would have been embarrassed. I know uh, people in my family at the time were embarrassed, were very vocal about it, but they can, you know, sit on uh, on Jimbo the Clown's uh, face for all I care. And then I worked at Applebee's. I worked as a waiter. And one of the things I learned from working in these industries was dealing with people and how to deal with people. I talk about blockbuster video. One of the things about video stores, and this is, I guess, a secret that we kept then that now we could talk openly about because there's no more blockbuster video, is that on the computer in front of us, when you would check in with your card, not only did we know what you've rented, how much money you owed, what your address was, we would keep notes on you people and how you were. And I remember one of the first times I got a note like that, I had walked in and there was a guy and he was the most boisterous, loud idiot. His name was Brett. Right, and that's his real name too, because I don't know. He's like, how's he gonna know? And he's like, uh, I forgot what he was taking out. Let's say he was taking out like, um, uh, I don't know, Home Alone. And I'm taking the video. Will this be all? And he's like, Will this be all? Yes, this will be all. And he like turns to the the place, and he's like, I could have my selection of any video, but I take this video. And I'm like, What is he doing? It was like Master Thespian acting. Thank you. It was insane. It was like so over the top. I didn't know who he was talking to. I didn't know if he was auditioning for something. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, what is happening with this guy? It was so weird. And then I looked on the on the screen, and at the bottom of the screen, it said, Brett is very arrogant. And I laughed. And I served him. And I've always remembered that. And I've always been conscious when I go uh, to a store or anything where I put my card in or anything like that. I'm like, just don't... I don't want to stand out. There's no point in it. They don't need a show. They don't even want to be here. I know what it's like to be at a at a service place or a retail place for hours and hours and hours. It is hell. It takes this thing that we enjoy doing as shoppers. I love going to, let's say, you know, Kohl's or Target and walking around and getting what I need, but I'm out of there. I'm out of there in 45 minutes. I'm gone. These people, it's hours. Things that are special are no longer special. It's dirty. They know all the worst parts of the building, you know, all that stuff. The absolute worst, though, was when I worked at Applebee's. I worked at Applebee's for, uh, what are you saying Applebee's? I didn't work at Applebee's. God, I am old. I worked at Bennigan's, man. I'm saying that because there is no more Bennigan's around here. I haven't been to a Bennigan's in a long time, but that's where I worked. I worked at Bennigan's. I still have my training materials from Bennigan's. Before I got to Bennigan's, I had fraternity brothers that worked at this Bennigan's that had conflict with people like the manager there and things like that. So I already came in behind the eight ball. I already came in with people prejudging me and being unhappy with me or whatever. And I hated it. Bennigan's was my least favorite job out of all of these. The worst, by far the worst. I trained forever. Um, and when I say trained, I don't mean really serving and training. I mean like sitting and watching videos 
those videos that you see that they make fun of, those training videos for stores, those are real. You know, hey, pal, are you looking to serve a customer? Well, here's how we do it here at Bennigan. And you watch the video and I'm just like, I'm going to kill myself. And I would sit there taking notes, you know, chicken strips. And like they would make it as complicated as possible. Like in the computer, you didn't hit chicken strips. It'd be like chickster or whatever. Like everything was abbreviated. Uh, To this day, I call spinach artichoke dip spin art because that's what was in the computer. And there were rules. You would have to put the salad in and then wait five minutes to put the other thing in. And then you would go in the back and two, five, seven, and you wait five minutes, seven minutes. And it would have been complicated if you had one table. But you wouldn't have one table. You'd have 100 tables. So it would be crazy. I had to know every beer. They had this big promotion where there were 100 beers for 100 days. And people would order all these different beers. And you had to know what the beers are. And if they asked you, you had to know it. Uh, And throughout all of this, all of this hell, if somebody had a birthday, you had to come over and you had to clap your hands and you had to sing this specialty Bennigan birthday song because I guess happy birthday costs money. And to this day, happy, happy birthday on this special day. Happy, happy birthday. That's why we're here to say happy, happy birthday. May all your dreams come true. Happy, happy birthday from Bennigan's to you. And we would all clap and nobody liked it except for like one dude who clapped like crazy. Hated it. Hated this job. So I'm at this job. I'm doing it. And I remember um, I had shadowed this one guy in the smoking session uh, section, again, 100 years old, smoking section of Bennigan's I worked in. Uh, haze of smoke, serving Turkey O'Toole's and Monte Cristo's and, and things like that. And um, the first time I was put on by myself was Memorial Day weekend. And I was pretty much the only waiter. There was like two to three waiters and waitresses, wait staff, I should say. I say waiters for everybody. I'm not being sexist. Everybody's a waiter to me. And I... I was one of the three in a packed place and I, it was insane and it was over the top. And the woman, the manager was one of the ones who had an issue with one of the people that I was friends with or an acquaintance with who had worked there before I got there and it was bad and I was trying and people were mad and mean and rude. And finally she came over to me and she goes, table three has been waiting for their salad for 15 minutes. I'm like, okay. She goes, we are going to give them a free dessert and it's going to come out of your tips. And I don't know what it was about that day. Maybe it was all the training. It was a smoking section. It was a spin art. I don't know what it was, but I took off my little green apron that I still have to this day because I, I stole it. I took it off and I dropped it on the floor and I said, screw you, I quit. And I left. And that is how I got banned from Bennigan's. I was not allowed back into the Bennigan's. But what that taught me was that um, wait staff for people. I mean, I kind of knew it before then. I'm glad I had this lesson early on in my life. I don't know. I probably would have reacted to wait staff as I do today the same way anyway. I, at least I hope so. But I did have these experiences so young in life that I was able to let me kind of live this life where I I respect the people who serve me. And I can tell you this for a fact because in my previous life, family friend, not my friend, not someone I found, not someone from my life. It's a girl and her husband. This girl liked to speak to the wait staff like they were hot garbage, not even hot garbage, just garbage. Shockingly bad. So bad that I was out with people who were normally rude who thought she was excessively rude. Here's what she would do. She wouldn't make eye contact. She would take her menu when they came over to take the order and she would go, salad, 
no onions, ranch dressing on the side without looking hand over the menu. And I was like, oh my God. And I can't even tell you how many times I would look at the waiter over her shoulder and mouth the words, I'm sorry. I did it all the time because I was convinced if they're going to spit in the food, which is a thing. I've known people who have done this. It's not, it's not something on TV. It's a thing. I didn't want them to spit in my food. And I didn't want them to think that I was co-signing this thing. I don't know how much spit this girl has ingested in her life. However much it is, she deserves it. Awful. And just to hammer it home, right? Just in case I am being too vague, I have changed, you know, names and situations and circumstances. I do all that. But here's a story that, you know, I've told to people before, and I'll tell you again. We were out with this person and one of their children. The child was known for vomiting everywhere, always threw up. Not sure why. You feel bad. You feel bad for a kid that will throw up. You don't like a kid throwing up. Sad. I hate throwing up. To me, throwing up is like the worst thing. I get upset. I don't know why. It's always been since I was a little kid. If I throw up, I'm like, I'm throwing up. I feel terrible. Don't get it. Don't understand it. But it just is what it is. So this kid is out with us, and we're at this table at uh, an amusement park. And there's a dining area in said amusement park. And we're eating. And as is off to happen, he throws up all over the table all over the table, everywhere. As he does, this girl jumps up, this mom, knocking her chair back 10 feet into the wall, setting off a huge splatter um, noise of the vomit mixed with the you know clanging of the chair against the wall. And over comes the waitress. I don't, there wasn't really a waitress. I should correct it. It was maybe like a uh, I don't, not even a bus boy because it wasn't a boy. I don't know what the term would be. A busser? Whatever you would call it, Because this was a, it was a casual dining place. You go up, you order, you sit down at these big tables. As I said, it was an amusement park. And the woman don't know what her job title was. Looks at the table. Sees everything on the table. Now keep in mind, this kid had just eaten. I don't know what he ate. But it was, um, it looked like oatmeal. This is an awful story, right? Now you're picturing it. I had to live it, so just deal with me for a second. And she goes to the mom. She goes, he spit his oatmeal? And she looks at this bus lady with a look of disgust. And she goes, he threw up. And then she left and didn't clean it. (laughs) She left it for the bus lady. And I remember being in awe of the entitlement of this person to have her child throw up all over the table, make a spectacle, leave it for this woman to clean up, and before she does, get mad at the woman for asking if it's oatmeal. Ridiculous. So for me, my moment of sanity is being nice to waiters and waitresses. I go out of my way to do it. I do get annoyed if you know things go wrong. I'm not a pushover. I've had waiters and waitresses take advantage. I can always sometimes tell when they do. Sometimes I feel like I'm so nice with them that they will purposely you know, discount it. I've had waiters screw up twice in the beginning of a meal and then they bite you off. They figure you're not going to give them a tip. But if a waiter's good, I give them a tip. I once had a waiter come up to me. This actually happened at an Applebee's. Um, I was not expecting the bill to be as low as it was. So I ended up tipping him pretty much the price of the meal as his tip 
again. So it was like double the price. And he came over and thanked me in front of everybody. And that was, it was cool. That was like one of my happiest moments at a meal. I, I love doing that. And I love being able to do that. And I love the fact that I wanted to do that. But listen, if you're listening to this and you're, you're thinking to yourself, am I mean to wait staff? Well, then maybe you probably are. Like, don't, don't wonder it. Know for a fact that you're not. I know I'm not. So don't. It's important. It's part of the world. Be a part of someone else's sanity. Do the right thing. Go out. Be kind. Rewind. Whatever. But just, you know, in the words of Jerry Springer, be good to yourselves and each other. And that does it for me. Thank you once again for joining me here on High Pod. I'm Dad. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your liking, subscribing, hitting the bell, all that good stuff. I will be back next Friday with a brand new podcast. I'll be back Monday, Wednesday with new blogs all around. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for all you guys do for me. Um, I, you know, I couldn't do it without you. So thank you. Until next time, James Gutman. Be well. Bye, Pod. I'm done.